My name is Tom Chick. We're listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the games that matter to them. Today we are here with, uh, oh, and you told me how to say it a second ago, and I'm going to screw it up, Enadime, Enadime, Enadigum, uh, <laughs> Enadime, right? Uh, that's correct. Okay. Uh, who, uh, you said you also go by Vostok, uh, so I can alternate between calling you those two things. Um, and uh, so how long have you been on the forum, out of curiosity? What's your post count? I believe on the top of my head it, it's around 6,000. I, I think it's, well, I was one of the earlier joiners. Mm-hmm. I think it was your original review of uh, Good Old Master of Orion 3, which which ah. forum. Yeah, I'm sorry you had to, I'm sorry. I, did you actually play Master of Orion 3, or did I, did I save you? From that's, that's actually a bad story, because it was so bad, I actually ran out and bought it. Because, <laughs> You're not supposed to do it that way. You're doing no, it wrong. I, I, felt, I feel really bad about it, because I, I bought it, and it really was as, as bad as it was intended, you know, the review said it was. So I, I kind of packed it back in the case and then put the little plastic sticker on it and then kind of blew dry the, the little plastic ah. sticker. And kind of returned it and sort of looked real sheepish about the whole thing. But Ah, well, good, a little subterfuge. Uh, okay, good, I like that. Uh, now, we, you, you, so you're obviously a strategy gamer based on what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh and, and I'll be real curious to sort of throw a few things at you and see what you have to say about them, because uh, I think you and I come to the Total War series from very different perspectives. Uh, but before we talk about that, uh, you are also not just a strategy gamer, because you said you've been playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption, and you said, I think, and I don't want to misquote you, I'll let you speak for yourself, but didn't you say it's, you think it's Rockstar's best game? I'm, I'm not. I'm not as broad of a fan of the, all of their works to say okay. absolute certainty, but but from the ones I've played, which is, I think, from Vice City on, mm-hmm. I would say that it was definitely the best of the games that Rockstar has made. And what makes it their, the best game they've made uh, from what you've seen? Well, they definitely have perfected the formula that the Grand Theft Auto series has sort of started. You know, the problem with the Grand Theft Auto series is that they, it kind of comes from two perspectives. On the one hand, you have this sort of free-roaming, sort of amoral destruction sandbox where you can just run over anything, blow up anything. And then as the series sort of progressed, they kept sort of developing the narrative abilities of their games mm-hmm. and uh, making them, you know, I think more and more interesting as, as the years have gone on. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of seen see the culmination of that, I think, in Red Dead Redemption. You can still do crazy stupid, violent things. You can still pull out your gun and shoot everybody in town. But but really, that's not what Red Dead Redemption is about. And uh, I think the way they, they capture the essence of the, the Western aesthetic coming from where they did, you know, it really impressed me. Do you think you have to be a fan of Westerns to enjoy Red Dead Redemption, or... Do you think it presents itself well enough that you can not care a whit about that genre and still get into the game? Mostly. I think there are always going to be some gamers who are impatient to travel quickly or don't appreciate uh, some of the things that it does really well. You know, I mean, it, it recreates that sense of, of space, which is really important in a Western and, and in the Western setting, you know, just visiting the West or Santa Fe or wherever you want to go. And if you don't really appreciate that, if you, if you really just are impatient to get to the next mission, if that's really all you're concerned about, then no, I don't think that the Western setting would, would be enough. But if you are able to look past just those you know minor details, I think you uh, would really enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the problems I had with, uh, I agree with you in that they do a great job of creating that space and, and presenting this idea of the wide open Old West. Uh, one of the problems I had, though, is that, and I think this is something that Rockstar struggles with, is they don't, to my mind, do a very good job pulling the player through that and, and adding enough gameplay elements to encourage the player to really be in the space. And one of the expressions of that, one of the places where I see that as a particular problem, is the way fast travel works. And I'm curious if that was an issue for you. I when I was playing, was just dropping fast travel waypoints everywhere and setting up a camp and jumping around. And I almost wish that that, I know it's convenient, but I almost wish that Rockstar hadn't put that in there and had instead 
really created some incentive for me to actually ride my horse around or, or pay for the stagecoach rides or even, for Pete's sake, get on that fantastic train. Um, do, do you feel there was an issue there? Did that bother you at all? I, I don't think so because I can I can perceive how they were trying to balance making the game playable within a, a good amount of time for, for many, a larger audience, many of their audience, mm-hmm. and, and recreating that Western experience. I mean, because you could, it's kind of the... The, the sim trap. You could you could easily you see the building blocks there. If you made it just you know twenty times as large and and made it much more realistic, you, you're almost approaching like a sim level. You know maybe tone down the violence ten times. And and most gamers don't like that kind of thing. So I I can kind of appreciate that that perspective, but I I don't think it's it's a necessary evil because you can avoid it. You can't choose not to do those things. They are tools that they gave you to enable you to progress through the story faster if you just don't have the time. Right. I mean, I guess it's sort of like for some people, if you want to skip one of the best things about the game, they're going to let you do that. Uh, And and part of me just wishes they wouldn't let you basically skip one of the best parts of, of the game. Uh, well, you know that's a that's a that's a tricky thing. You know there are there are a very few games that are I guess what you'd call hardcore mode in the sense that you can never go backward in time in a save. Uh, you probably played Dominion's Three, I think. I have, uh, sir. Dominion's Three, and you know those that, those sorts of games are like that. Even in single player, there's no moving backward. You know, it's it's always saving as soon as you've done something. Mm-hmm. And those are difficult games to play. A lot of people don't like them. Uh, and it would be fun to have a game like that, you know, on the level and scale of something like uh, Red Dead Redemption. And, and there's all sorts of things. It'd be fun to have snow fall and get cold, and it'd be fun to, to die of exposure because you're too hot or something. But, <laughs> you know, in, a, in, a, in a bizarro sense. But, uh, you know, I mean, but a lot most people don't like that. You know, I, I used to play uh, flight simulators all the time. Ah, right. And I flew in a, an IL-2 squad. It would take us an hour to get everybody lined up, and we'd rustle all the cats together, and, and we'd take off, and we'd have a great time. But I remember seeing a statistic. Um, it was like one of the most played games per hour of player, but it had the fewest players of, of all the major games online. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I just I understand where they're coming from. I mean, I, I, kinda, I just accept those compromises. It's kind of like a summer movie. You know that they're doing a lot of silly things. But basically, you can kind of appreciate where they're coming from, generally speaking. So. You know, okay, so this is, you mentioned IL-2, and, and, and I want to relate to, to flight sims, because I also go way back to flight sims. I think you and I have a very similar background there. A, a similar issue in flight sims would be the issue of whether or not you have to take off and land after a mission. And one of the developments that, that started to occur in a lot of flight sims is the developers were like, you know what, we're going to let players just skip the act of taking off, flying to the waypoint, doing, the, it, you know, we're just going to drop them at the mission, and we're not even going to make them fly back and land the plane. And I can understand that uh, design decision. Uh, but as someone who really enjoyed that immersive experience of flying a mission, you know, the whole soup to nuts thing of, of taking off, flying the mission, bringing the plane back, dealing with whatever damage you might have taken, and having to put those wheels on the ground, you know, having to bring that bird down. Uh, I loved those aspects of the game, and I thought it was a real shame to see those sort of streamlined out. Now, I can understand that a developer feels the need to do that, and I support that, but what I always wished was that for guys like me, they would give you an option to take off, fly to the mission, have to fly back and land, and not just an option, but an incentive, maybe something as simple as, you know, a few extra points on, on a mission, you know, or just some scoring system. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's been a while since I've played IL-2, and so uh-huh. any current player would remind me, but I do believe actually in IL-2 you, you do receive points for landing. In fact, if I remember correctly, it's like a, it's a multiplier. Like if you, if you shoot down three planes, you get 30 points if you're shot down. Mm-hmm. But if you shoot down three planes and land, I believe you get 300 points. See, that's awesome. I love that. And, and, and so to tie this into Red Dead Redemption, I understand that they want to give you fast travel for players who just want to jump to the next mission, who don't want to ride the horse around and experience this, this wonderful atmospheric setting. I understand why Rockstar did that. 
and I'm glad that they give me the option to ride my horse there. But I really wish that they would recognize that I would like some incentive to not fast travel. Uh, you know, whether it's, uh, this is something I wrote about on, on a site I run called Fidget, uh, whether it's maybe some sort of leveling up system to tie you closer to the horse if you actually use it, or, or even something simple like an economic cost for fast travel, you know, just a minor, like a sort of a tax. Actually, I think, I think that the game, there is that in the game, isn't there? Not because, if I believe, I remember correctly, you, it, it's not well documented, and in fact, right. Barely talks about it, but you can become bonded to your horse. Yeah, and that happens fairly quickly, though. Uh, and so I see they started to go towards that. But, yeah, if you ride a horse for a while, it gets a minor, uh, I guess it's called stamina boost. Um, and I do think, and, and this is another important point, is they did create, to my feeling, not enough, but many, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, ancillary or secondary missions that you can do. The blue dot missions. The little blue dot missions. Yep. And and they're really not, I don't think there's enough uh, diversity in there to satisfy me. I mean, they do get repetitive pretty quickly, but uh, they do have those. So if you if you just fast travel, you'll never see them. So there's that second. Well, well again, because I, I, this is something else I also talked about. Uh, I don't think that's the case because you still see those when you're just doing your missions like around town uh, or when you're just out in the wilderness, like looking for a specific kind of animal. Uh, even if you're fast traveling everywhere you need to go, the blue dots will occur. Now, now, granted, you will get more blue dots if you don't fast travel. Um, but again, this ties into I don't think the blue dots, they, they repeat a lot, and I don't think there's a lot of incentive to really want to have more blue dot missions. Um, well, you know, I, I think also that has to do with, with basic balance. I mean, if you wanted to make people ride their horse around, you can make them pay a thousand dollars every time they fast travel, and everybody would ride the horse around. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but even just like a minor disincentive, you know, here in here in California, we are looking at taxing, uh, we are looking at charging people a nickel to use plastic bags in a grocery store. Most people will do that, but some people won't. It's a little tax disincentive, and and if it just costs you, you know, five space bucks in Red Dead Redemption to fast travel. I, I just think something like that would work wonders towards a min-max immersive guy like me who would want to save those five space bucks, those five dollars. Uh, and, and, and a lot of this is very minor kvetching, because I agree with you. This is certainly one of their better games, but I feel that it repeats mistakes that Rockstar continues to make that I feel they, they could address to make their game so much better. And the funny thing is, they don't really need to. Their games are doing fine. They don't need to cater to nitpicky guys like me. Uh, but I just continually see these same kinds of mistakes and, and wish that uh, they would just address or polish some of these a little bit better. Partly, part of it, too, is you know games like Assassin's Creed 2 and Saints Row 2 and Just Cause 2, those are classic examples of developers of open-world games who learn from their previous games and who continue to advance their gameplay model. I see them making wonderful strides, and I don't see that happening with Rockstar, and, it, and it's frustrating to me. Um, well, you know, it, it comes back to, is it financially sound? If a game might be the perfect game of a genre, but if it doesn't sell well, and, and they've sold so regularly <laughs> and consistently, it's hard for them to change a formula. It's, that goes to the StarCraft II question. Mm-hmm. which uh, a lot of people have played the, the beta, and I won't go into detail about it, but but it's basically StarCraft. And yep. you have to kind of wonder, you know, after 10 years, you get pretty much the exact same thing again. Uh, obviously, they feel that even though the RTS genre has moved far beyond where StarCraft was, that uh, sticking with the tried-and-true method is the safe bet. I, I love that parallel, but I, I just want to briefly take you to task on one thing. I think a better analogy would be for, for StarCraft. The gameplay model is the same, but if you look at the differences between StarCraft 1 and StarCraft 2, Blizzard is advancing. You know, They're polishing the interface, for instance. The interface in StarCraft 2 is so much better than the first StarCraft. The way it's, it's documented with in-game tooltips is so much better than the first game. Uh, I feel Blizzard is a company that... that that is an example of what I wish Rockstar would be like in that they identify some of the weaknesses of their previous games and and they fix those. They address those without compromising the core gameplay. And I don't see Rockstar doing that. I mean, Rockstar 
does some amazing work, but I wish they would do the equivalent of what Blizzard does when they add tooltips, when they when they improve the interface. Uh, I, I would just like to see more of that. Um, well, not to, not to linger on this too much, but, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, as I said previously, I'm not as familiar with all the Rockstar games to say that they haven't improved, but one of the things that bothered me so much about uh, Grand Theft Auto 4, which I've never finished, was that you had this great world, but there was nothing to do in it. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could sit in a taxi and really enjoy the, the ride, you know, wherever I was going, listening to this great radio station, yet I had no way of making money unless I took a mission to go blow somebody up. And in, in this game, uh, Red Dead Redemption, they really have created a kind of alternate economy. It's almost kind of a MMO kind of economy where you go out and you hunt and, you know, gather up, you know, uh, crafting items and take it back into town or... So, so in that respect, I think they did improve some things. But I'll, I'll grant you that I, I'm not familiar enough with the whole, you know, Rockst, uh, the Rockstar game uh, design to say that they haven't uh, improved. So, and you know what? Likewise, that is a very good point, and and uh, I, I think you've made an excellent case. That it, you're absolutely right. That's an example where they have really advanced their gameplay model. So, yes, I will absolutely grant you that, and uh, I am grateful for that in Red Dead Redemption. There's this, there's none of that. You know, you're in Liberty City, and there's nowhere to go, nothing to do if you don't want to, like, bowl with Jacob. <laughs> for, right. for, uh, so, yes, I will grant you that's, a, that's an excellent point. Uh, I do love that they've put an economy into Red Dead Redemption. So, good. All right, well, well there you go. Uh, unfortunately, I guess we can't really disagree on that anymore. <laughs> uh, what, uh, have you been playing any multiplayer in Red Dead Redemption? Have you tried any of that? Yes, but I'm on the PlayStation, the poor... Oh, there's no one else playing on the PlayStation 3. Uh, <laughs> what's the point? You it should join crazy. us on the Xbox 360. We're having a grand time. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Uh, there were I, I did get on. There were about two or three people, and we, we spawned, and, and we basically camped, I guess you might say, the uh, spawning bad guys about three times. Right. And I do like their model there. I mean, I hope that they will download a little content, like add more cool stuff. I like the basic framework, but I think there are, again, a lot of gaps in the multiplayer that need to be filled in. But I love their basic concept there. I think, well, I mean, I've I've played enough multiplayer games. I don't think this one's going to have too many legs. It's fun, and maybe maybe it could be better. Maybe it's better with a lot of people, but what I saw, it wasn't too great, so... Now, I do want to ask you, so you said this is, you think, one of one of Rockstar's best games amongst the ones that you've seen. Did you play Bully? No, I did not. Okay, because that, I, I, I would agree with you if I had not played Bully. I, I think Bully is currently the standard for what Rockstar has done. Uh, so that that's my, my recommendation. Uh, I'll have to check that out. So, although I don't know, I don't, I don't know how dated Bully will feel. Because uh, Red Dead Redemption is so atmospheric and it looks great, and uh, uh, Bully has a whole different. It's it's much more focused and contained, and uh, but I don't know. So I'll, I'll be curious if you like that. Uh, it's, uh, it's in a school, isn't it? Or it is in a prep school. Yep, and the and the town around it. Uh, and and part of what makes it good is it is a unique setting. You know, that's I'm convinced that's a lot of why I loved Brutal Legends is and, and Bioshock. Uh, I, I just love games that show me things I haven't seen before. And while Red Dead Redemption is a great nod to, to the classic westerns, uh, I, I just love you know this idea of, of an underwater dystopia or or a, a prep school or this fantasy heavy metal world. Uh, just in my book, a game gets huge like it gets a big old gold star when, when it does something unique like that. So so I recommend Bully to you. All right, now uh, I would like to transition to the game that you chose to talk about today. You are obviously a big uh, RTS fan. Uh, how long have you been with Creative Assembly's Total War series? Well, I, I don't know in years. I've, I've played them all since Medieval. Okay. Uh, and before we talk about Empire, how do you feel? Well, I guess then you must be really happy that they're doing a Shogun 2, because if you, if you miss the first Shogun, here's your chance, yeah? Actually... If, if that rumor is correct, and I guess it is. It's definitely, it's an official announcement now. Yep. Official announcement. Um, I'm not really that excited about it. Because the historical period doesn't do much for you? Well, partly. Um, I, I think a little bit of that, and I feel like they could always go back to a previous game and, and kind of perfect it a little bit more. It, it could be good. I'll, I'll look into it. Okay. But it's, it's, not, it's not something that you were totally psyched to hear about, apparently. All right. 
I think the thing about uh, Shogunate combat is that it seems really boring. You basically have cavalry, infantry, and archers. It's, it's a very sort of reductionist kind of warfare. You know, in, in Medieval and in, in some of the other games, you get all these sort of flamboyant units which are kind of, you know, more fun and enjoyable. And, I, I'm, you know, it's a, it's a very... It's probably going to be a, a very strategic game. I think they're everybody says the first one was the best one in, in a lot of ways, but, you know. Now, uh, how do you feel about the fact that Shogun 2 is really pushing this kind of RPG aspect with a hero unit? You apparently have a super powerful hero unit on the battlefield. Uh, it, it seems like it's a bit like the generals you get in, in their other games, but it, it, I guess it's going to have some kind of skill tree and persistent upgrades. Uh, is that? Do you like that idea, or do you feel that that runs counter to what Creative Assembly should be doing? Well, it's it's interesting to me because I think that, however unrealistic it was, uh, Rome Total War was probably everyone's favorite of the Total Wars, even though it had a lot of ridiculous units and it did ahistoric things and it was it was more of a sort of a cinematic game. Um, I think the reason I like Empire Total War is because it seems like they really tried to push a sort of realism upon the the framework of their Total War games, and uh, they didn't succeed completely, but I think going the opposite direction into a fantasy sort of Total War is kind of a dangerous move for them. I think it can, I think it can backfire. You know, I remember Ensemble made that wonderful game, uh, Age of Mythology, which in some ways I think was their best game, but nobody liked it, and apparently people didn't even recognize it as being the same same game at all as their previous ones. And so this could be dangerous. I don't know. But I'm not too psyched about it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about Empire. Why is uh, is Empire your favorite? I mean, that's that you mentioned everybody seems to like Rome, but did you prefer Empire to Rome? I did. I think basically, you know, it takes, I guess what you might call the Europa Universalis model of, of gaming, and it really tries to apply it to that sort of total war framework, at least in the strategic framework. Um, you know, there seems to have been, I guess, in, in total war, basically kind of like two generations of, of gaming. And there was that first one with medieval, and the strategic map was basically just kind of a an overlay. And then with Rome, they sort of made this sort of 3D strategic layer. And they've been kind of working on, on making that more a part of, the whole overall experience. And I think they almost achieved that in Empire were it not for those just terrible AI issues that it was released with. And which, fair enough, I think anybody who complains about it and says it's a terrible game because of the AI has a completely valid point and I'm not going to disagree with them in any way whatsoever. But it's, I can see that they really were trying hard to make a, a really interesting game in Empire. They didn't quite succeed, but they, they got close. Now, does, did the AI issues, did those bother you? Well, I, I tended to play a land power when I, when I play. Mm-hmm. There's so, you know, these games are so large and they have so many permutations of, of factions. I mean, I suppose if you really got into one of them, you could play them for hundreds of hours, different factions, all the way through, if you wanted to be real picky about it. Uh, I ended up playing, uh, I guess, the Ottoman Empire in Russia, so I didn't quite notice the AI issues as much. I suppose if you were playing with England or the Netherlands, they would they would be a little more prominent. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the battle, uh, though, you were you were okay with like because one of the complaints that I think you're talking about is this idea that when it was released, the AI really couldn't handle uh, moving armies over water. Uh, that 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 was something where it was just sort of a dead end. Like it would never move into England. It didn't know how to do amphibious invasion. But and if I'm not mistaken, I don't think it, it could even put troops onto to transports. Um, it, it never moved anything over water. I don't. Okay, but but then a separate issue, at least to my mind, is the the battle AI during the battle screens is. For me personally, I never felt any challenge during a battle unless the numbers were against me. Uh, well, that's and that's the case. I think with pretty much all of the the Total War series. I mean, I I could see where people were coming from. I could see the, the AI was weak. I, I I could see it doing stupid things, charging your lines of, of musket, uh, bayonet equipped infantry, and you kind of shake your head. But I remember in in medieval, there were strategies where you could take on stacks of six or seven times your number. Mm-hmm. I remember one of the 
uh, one of the famous moments in, in medieval where you'd have the Mongols come in and uh, you'd put all your infantry in a big circle on the top of the hill and you'd fight off wave after wave after wave of Mongols. So, I mean, I do remember the time when even in the great, get, in the great old days of, of medieval, which everybody looks back at fondly, the AI not being as strong as people remembered either. So I, was, I guess I, I saw that and I understood where people were coming from and I, I, and I, I accepted, like I said, you know, and I really do think that those are valid concerns, but I could kind of see where they were going with it and so I kind of didn't bother me as much. Okay. That's, that's one of the things that, that I have a problem with, with with Empire is as they got more ambitious and as they started progressing into units that use gunpowder, for instance, as each unit started to have more abilities and more of a specialized role in combat, it seemed like all these new powers and these new unit tactics were squandered on the AI. Um, so it, it felt like all of this ambition that Creative Assembly had in terms of their design, without an AI to really make it playable, for me, all of that just felt wasted. Um, and and I, I've played a few multiplayer battles uh, where you're playing with somebody who's actually using the other units as they're supposed to be used, uh, where you actually have to use your unit special abilities and manage them very carefully. Uh, and it pretty much killed the single player for me. Uh, once I saw the way the game was supposed to be played with a human player, it, it just it kind of hurt almost like like it was like emotionally painful to watch this great game system completely fall apart when the AI couldn't manage the, the tools that Creative Assembly put into there. Uh, so I was the opposite for, from you. You seemed to sort of feel like you, you appreciated what they were trying to do, um, and it just hurt me to see them unable to do that because the AI sort of fell apart. Uh, well, you know, if you look at European history and look at combat. Mm-hmm. Most most strategic thought in Europe really didn't develop until the 18th century. So it's the the system they came up with really made more sense when you're talking about throwing you know pikemen and swordsmen together and just a big old messy ball. Right. Right. It just it just didn't fit. But then that's part of the the problem is that they're they're kind of shoehorning this sort of classic age combat model into the into the modern or semi modern era of combat and I can I mean it's, it's fair enough I mean you can you can see it, it doesn't it's not a great fit but uh, but like I said um, you know it's it wasn't too bad for me uh, and so you did like the strategic level because that that was one of the things as you pointed out uh, in their original design in Shogun uh, the strategic level was really just a framework to encourage tactical battles uh, there, there wasn't all of this stuff about developing cities and happiness, and uh, it, was, it was it was very abstract and simple. Uh, they've gotten a lot more complex. You mentioned the EU model. Uh, they certainly borrow things from the uh, games like Civilization IV. Um, and one of my complaints, and I'm curious how you feel about this, is that it all it, it starts to increasingly feel to me like two separate games. Now they are related. But in terms of when I'm playing a tactical battle and when I'm playing that strategic level, they just appeal to such completely different parts of my brain that they feel like two separate games. So rather than I'm looking at a a streamlined abstract strategic layer that encourages me to play tactical battles, I feel more like I'm ping-ponging between two designs. Uh, Was that not an issue for you? Did Did those two types of gameplay fit together better for you? Uh, I think they did because I, maybe in my mind I was sort of filling in the narrative gaps of, of the battles. Mm-hmm. You know, what I really appreciated about the strategic layer is that I, I could see that it really put a lot of thought into creating an interesting strategic situation for these different countries. It wasn't like in the old days of Medieval 2 where you just basically have the gold blob and you're kind of on the map somewhere and then you just sort of throw it, you know, in the general direction of the bad guy. Like, for example, with Russia, they... Uh, created this really large empire with several provinces. So you'd think, starting the game, that they would be a, a pushover because you'd, you'd have a front, the eastern side of the map, where no enemies are going to approach. But then they created all these little minor powers on the bottom of the map. They create these really annoyingly large stacks that you have to deal with. If you don't, they'll actually invade and take over some of your provinces. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they created this new trading system, which became probably more profitable than any other way of making money. And 
Russia doesn't have a cold water port to trade in. So all of a sudden, you can see that they did put thought into it. They, they made this system an interesting system, puts you into a, a, a way that you can, you can win over a long period of time mm-hmm. and, and then give you the tools to fight with. So when I fought a battle, I was kind of putting it into the context in my mind of, of what was going on in that strategic layer, something which I don't think they had done in previous games. And I guess that's why I had sort of looked over its, its flaws. Now, I noticed you played, you, you mentioned, you said you, you played it, you mainly gravitated towards the landlocked powers. Uh, the naval battles were one of the really cool new innovations that they were touting. Uh, did you not like the naval battles? Did you prefer just the, the focus of being in a land game? Why, why, were you, uh, why were you shying away from the ocean? What are you afraid of? <laughs> well, I, I don't like being wet. <laughs> no, I, I, didn't, I didn't do too many of them. There was something goofy with, I can't remember exactly what it was, with the, with the galleys. The galleys act really strangely. And I do remember, well, to be fair, I mean, I had several battles where the AI just kind of screwed up, and I had a couple battles uh, in the ocean before the later patches where things just didn't seem to work right, that things would just blow up randomly. Uh, I think they kind of ironed that out in the, in the later patches. But... Uh, it, it was, I, I don't know, they may not have thought about the balance of how these ships are supposed to, to fight quite as hard as they did on the military side on land. That's something they really weren't familiar with, and it, it may be difficult to kind of put numbers on something like uh, ships of the line, which haven't really existed in 200 years, but um, it, it, it was okay. It, it wasn't bad. It, it just seemed to me like, the tactics that you would read about, like crossing the T, you know, when you're fighting with ships of the line, you'd be looking for, for that kind of thing, but it just it just never really seemed to happen. It's just kind of a big old mess, and they sort of shoot each other. So, yeah, I mean, I did play it somewhat, but it, 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 it didn't turn out as well as they'd hoped. It was definitely a sense that this was like their first iteration with, with this kind of combat, uh, and, and, and watching them sort of patch it and trying to address the balance issues was... Uh, I, I don't mean to be mean, but there was a certain Keystone Cops quality to the changes that they were trying to introduce. And, uh, I, you know, that's kind of one of my problems. Do, do you keep up with their community blog at all? Like, have you read any of their – I can't think of the guy's name. I, I should have looked that up. Uh, but did you ever keep up with their, their community manager's blog? No, I'm, I'm, I've kind of gotten past that point in my life. I remember I was younger, like 10 years ago, I used to follow gamer blogs and, and – uh, what developers would say, but don't have quite time for that anymore. Uh, I, you know, there was a big stink. If I remember correctly, and I, I may be wrong, I think one of the reasons the people had such such a vitriolic reaction to Empire was that they had promised that the AI was going to be worked on and right. improved, and it turned out not only to not be true, but it was actually the opposite. <laughs> and I think that created such a, a bad taste in the community's mouth. It, uh, it's kind of spoiled a lot of the old time fans, I think. To so he may, they may have a blog, but I haven't checked it out. Yeah, they do have a blog, and on one hand, I have to give them credit for the amount of transparency that occurs on this blog, but on the other hand, I have to wonder the wisdom of some of the things they've said on it. Uh, like, like it is, you can go there and you can see where they're promising better AI, not just in Empire, but in the Napoleon expansion, and, and the Napoleon AI is just as bad. It, it does terrible things. Uh, but you, you find entries on this blog where they say things about, you know, how, oh, they, AI is really hard to do, and so they shouldn't be held to certain standards. And, uh, and I think one of the galling things that they wrote uh, was that the community manager said something to the effect of when the, the game shipped, he was too ashamed of the state it was in to give copies to his friends, and only after certain patches did he feel he could do that. Which, you know, I appreciate the frankness there, but good Lord, what a terrible thing to say to people who paid $60 for your game when it first shipped. Um, that, that is <laughs> terrible. It, it was just, yeah, it was just really clumsy. It was sort of like, you know what, if you're going to have your, your community manager might want to have a more careful filter about <laughs> what he's saying. That's not your community manager. Exactly, right, right. Uh, maybe this guy's better suited for another role in the company somewhere. <laughs> I'm not sure well, that's what you want to tell the community. I think I, I think I said this on on a forum post uh, a while ago, but you know the thing that disappointed me most about Empire was that I could kind of see the limitations of Creative Assembly, and as much as they you'd like to see them do, same thing with Paradox actually in the Euro- Europa Universalis games, you you know that they want to do more, 
But with Empire, you kind of saw the limits of their ability, unfortunately. And and I think that people have become jaded. They don't really expect too much from them anymore. I think if, if it comes out with a Shogun 2, it'll probably be just, just like the previous games. And it's a shame because there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, yeah. Well, my my hope with Shogun 2 is that it will, you know, I, I talked about some of the, the specialized roles and the, you know, gunpowder and artillery and what that does to combat. Maybe by culling some of that stuff out and going back to ancient combat, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be able to get more of a handle on how it plays out. I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and I do like, so I, I, this doesn't seem to bother you, but I do like this idea of them playing with more fantastical elements. Um you're okay with that, right? Like, I think the uh, weren't, weren't there like flaming pigs you could use, and and there were there were like witch women in medieval uh, that who would uh, would they throw would they have spells or something? I, I don't remember. But did those did those elements bother you? You're okay with that stuff? I it, it didn't bother it didn't bother me at the time. I think in retrospect it kind of seems a little silly. Yeah, I, I, well, actually, that's right. You did mention that you thought that this was risky for them. Uh, to sort of get away, like the age of mythology thing, to get away from the firm historical basis was risky. Uh, so, but, well, but, you know, it's, but like, like I said previously, I think what's interesting is that I think most people prefer Rome. You know, when you have the silly, there are three nations in, inside Italy, and they're all expanding at the same time, but they're all supposed to be the same nation, and you have, there may have been one antidote in history where there was a flaming pig, and, right. and they turned it into a whole unit. <laughs> But people like that, and and you know, and at the time when I played it, I think I kind of liked it too. So, yeah, yeah. So that's also I'm I'm hoping they'll do more of that kind of playful stuff with with, with Shogun, uh, even if it does upset the community. Uh, that's what I'd like to see. Did Did you ever play, by the way, that uh, I can't think of the name of it? There was a Warhammer. Uh, it wasn't a total war game, but it was uh, like Mark of Chaos, maybe. Uh, I, I tried the demo. I think that was terrible. That was like a worst case example of. Let's put fantastical stuff in a total war model of gameplay. Now, I'm convinced that that can work, but that, that game definitely was not an example of, of how that worked. Um, you know, what's interesting is that I think there have been several other total war-like games, but if I remember, I don't think any of them have really... There's a little... There's a magic to the way the units work in, in total war games, and others have tried to copy it, but it just doesn't seem to work for some reason, so... Well, to their credit, also that's it's a fantastic engine. Man, it looks good. Oh, what? Oh, what is that recent game? I, I played it. I don't remember. Um, King Arthur. Yeah, I've, I've heard people talk about this, but you haven't seen it. No, I played it. I, I own it. I think. Oh, oh, what's? What, yeah, tell us about that. It, it's basically Total War, but with magic. It, it's well, it, it's in the Arthurian setting. You're in Britain. It's 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 a more linear. It's seven o'clock. Oops, <laughs> linear game. Who's there with you? I heard that. You have a robot. <laughs> this is back, I'm afraid. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it didn't click with me. I mean, there was the, the it just seemed the combat seemed lightweight and, and didn't have the depth that the, the gravitas you might say of, of the Total War games. And so yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. There was alignments. There was magic. You, you can manage your empire, but I, I played it and I was just kind of bored and I, I didn't play too much. So. Do you know offhand who made it? Was that a little indie developer? I believe they were from Hungary. Okay. All right. I don't remember the name, though. Uh, yeah, Steam, so. I'm sorry, say again? Oh, no, the game is on Steam, so... Right, right. And it's just called King Arthur, right? Um, I believe it's King Arthur the Stra- Strategic War Game, something like that. Uh, and you have not, or you have seen Napoleon? The game? Yes. Uh, I have that too. Uh, and how did that, how did that work out for you? Did you like uh, did you like do you like the story based campaign things? Did those work? I, do, I think I did a pretty good job with it. Um, I like the graphics upgrades. It kind of kills my computer, but it does a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. The the main improvement I think was they had a drop in multiplayer where you could actually get people from outside of your game to play in your single player game, which is a really cool idea. Did you try that? Uh, I think once or twice. Okay. I love that feature. I mean, that right there almost single-handedly saved the, the game for me. Uh, I, 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 I just think that that's... The, oh, it's, 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 it's by far the, the best thing that they came up with. In fact, it's a, it's, it's a great idea for any strategy game, really. Of course, the problem is you have to be dependent upon having somebody to play with. So if you don't do that feature pretty early after release, you may not have anyone to play with a year later. But, but in principle, it really is a good idea. 
Right. Yeah. Now I reviewed one up. Uh, I reviewed Napoleon for for one up. Um, and when it first came out, I had no problem, you, you know, playing the campaign, setting a battle to, you know, find someone for a drop in. Uh, but I only tried that within a couple of days of its release. I would be curious if that still is working. Uh, I think I told you we were going to play uh, or talk about. I'm sorry, uh, Empire Total War. Mm-hmm. I ended up playing a game of medieval probably about a week ago, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm, not, I'm sorry, not medieval of uh, Napoleon. And I did try to drop in, and I didn't get anybody. And I waited about ten minutes. So. Yeah, that sucks. And I'm not surprised because in a way. Sort of like, why are you going to want to play someone else's campaign? Uh, like, I know, I think they had some kind of, like, multiplayer ranking system, and that tied into that, but that was never really what the Total War series was about. Uh, well, it would, I think you had to be in your own game while, while it was going on, and then it would pop a little dialogue box. And there was, um, I think, a, a system in place to prevent lopsided battles. You know, what would be fun if you jumped into somebody's game right. and you had some unit, they had 100. Right. So, but... But despite all that, and despite the fact that I think it is still a good idea, um, I didn't get anybody that one time. That, that's not to say that I was just on at a bad time or not. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a shame that that wasn't developed a little more, because it, it certainly helped. And I, you know, I, I did not like Napoleon at all, but I had a few great matches where I, I just had some random guy plug in for the, the lousy AI on the other side. Uh, so... All right, so uh, what else, what's coming up that you are looking forward to? Wow. Uh, probably StarCraft II. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I don't think I have anything else. I, in theory, I should like the Sims games. I really kind of appreciate those Sims 3 games mm-hmm. from a distance. When I play them, <laughs> I have to admit, I mean, I really do, it, it sounds weird. I end up buying far more games than I end up playing. I think I've got like two or three games I haven't even opened yet. I like uh, developers when they create a really robust, rich game environment. But and, and The Sims Three, I, I'm trying to think what bothered me about it. But but yeah, they come. They're coming up with a couple expansions. And I'm like, well, they just they they recently, I guess a couple months ago, released this World Adventures thing, and just this past week they released Ambitions, where you with playable uh, careers. Uh, and just last night, I reinstalled the whole shebang because I'm like you, I. Uh, I really appreciate what they're doing with that series. And I really liked the base Sims 3 game. I just hadn't revisited since either of these expansions came out. So I'm looking forward to digging into those. And and now, are you like me in that you enjoy approaching them as strategy games? Because that's, that's, the, that's the hook that gets me there. Is that how it works for you when you play them? No, actually, I think if, man, that's why I get bored with them. Because I, t- I tend to play them and I get really attached to the characters. Mm-hmm. And I hate to see, I hate to see them fail. Essentially, <laughs> I feel, feel bad about it. Yes, but the thing is also, which which is a little different. It reminds me, oddly enough, of Civilization Four in that Sims Three has a strange pace to it, and it seems to go by rather quickly. I know you can adjust that, but when you play on the standard level, it seems like as soon as you've gotten all of the interpersonal relationships going, your characters are about to die. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of sucks in some ways. There's this sense of, yeah, I mean, they're, they're really compressing time to address the pacing. Uh, and I, I personally like it, but uh, I, I can understand, like, you're just getting going, and, oh, look, your guy is old and on the verge of death, and you're faced with that, well, do I now kind of cheat and turn off death, or do I let it run its course? That, that's, that's kind of funny. The Sims 3 can really be an exercise in, in letting go, in dealing with your sense of attachment. Uh, and I respect that, but that's a tough thing to deal with. I guess maybe because of a, as a strategy gamer, I don't really see the Sims 3 as, or really any of the Sims being all that strategic because I guess it, it's one of those, uh, just like a time, time efficient, making your time more efficient. Uh, I'm trying to think of that mathematical equation where you're, what is it, the P, the PN equation or something where you're trying to maximize your efficiency between points. I mean, it's kind of, kind of like that, but it's, it's not that interesting to me as a strategy gamer, so I'm like, oh, oh whatever. <laughs> See, the way, the way I put it uh, is that it, it's a strategy game about, it, it's a resource management game, and your main resource is time. And I'm sure whatever formula you were thinking of, and I'm the wrong guy to ask about that, but I'm sure whatever formula you're thinking of is probably an expression of, of that. This idea that you have a certain amount of time and you maximize it, and, and in that regard, 
it reminds me of something like StarCraft, where you have a certain amount of, of crystal and Vespine gas, and you turn it into an army, and you apply that army to the other guy's army, and you see who wins. You know, The Sims is you have a certain amount of time, and you turn that time into simoleons and into meeting needs and into friends. Uh, it's all about resource management and conversion. Uh, and, and any game that does that with personality is okay by me. So, oh, I, I completely agree with that. I think the other thing that bothered me, though, was that it seemed like you never had enough money to buy a house. <laughs> like you, had, you spent so much time making money, yes. you never enjoy it. And by the time you had it, you were... So you have to, I guess you could, as a, as a strategy gamer, the main thing would try to be like, you know, to marry someone with a, an existing house or something like that. Well, yeah, or either that or you have to play a few Sims and found a dynasty and basically hand down your inheritance before somebody can, can really afford to, to shell out all that money to make one of those awesome mansions that you can download or that you see the other Sims living in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, but I did appreciate the fact that they had a whole town built. I remember, I think it was Sims 2. Or maybe Sims. I think it was the first Sims. I don't think I played Sims 2. You you had to build each house for the neighborhood. Like you can make a neighborhood, but you have to build the whole neighborhood. And that was it was just annoyingly too involved. I just wanted to do all that. And and that's the beauty of Sims 3 is that you know it it, it busts the the world open. You know there's all these other houses and there's a neighborhood and there's other people on the. Uh, on the same schedule as you, and time runs for everyone. And you know, it's funny just sitting here talking about it. I'm, I'm revving myself up to go sit down and, and play some more Sims 3 with these expansions. So <laughs> you're getting me all excited now. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I am going to ask you. I don't know if you're ready for this. Are you ready for a completely random question that has nothing whatsoever to do with what we've talked about? Oh, absolutely. All right. Uh, now this one's a little unfair because I'm going to ask you to do some work for me <laughs> in this question and everyone listening. So here's the deal. You'll go into a drawing for a free game, of course. Uh, anybody who posts in this thread and whose post begins with the first letter of their username. So, for instance, if you were to, to, to post in this thread, you go into the drawing anyway, but if you were to post in the thread, your post would have to begin with the letter E from, from Anodyne. Uh, We'll go into the drawing as well, anybody who posts according to that rule. So here's the question. Are you ready? And I apologize in advance for this. I feel a little lame asking you this. Are you ready for this? Well, uh, I'm as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> okay. With all those disclaimers, here you go. What is a good random question to ask someone? Good random question to ask someone. That you expect an answer from? Ideally, yeah. I'm basically ask, asking you to do my work for me and think up random questions that I can use on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something random like, who are the four acneous poets of pre-revolutionary Russia or something? Wait, but is, is there an answer to that actual question? <laughs> yeah, actually, I think there is. But whether well, it's an interesting question or not, <laughs> I, I guess, you know what, it does, that's kind of vague, isn't it? It does depend on your, your definition of good random question. Uh, <laughs> uh Let's see. How much time do I have to think about this? I know. See, that's the thing. You're on the clock. The pressure, the, you know, the tape is running. The pressure's on. Uh, but here, here's what I'm thinking of when I get, like, I, I think there, there are certain questions you can ask people that will almost invariably bring out something interesting about them. Uh, and, and for in, instance, one of, the, one of my favorite things to ask a married couple is, you know, how did you meet your wife or husband? I, I think you can't help but ask someone that and, and not bring out a bit of that person's personality and not learn something more and hear an interesting story. Uh, and s some of the random questions I've asked on the podcast are just stupid things that uh, serve no purpose. Uh, but I love knowing about things like, you know, how did you meet your wife? You know, uh, so... You have, like, uh, for example, what was the last good meal you had? Or uh, I like they, that. They, what was the last good book you read? Things like that. What was the last good meal you had? Asking you right now. In and oh, awesome. no. It was the last good meal you had. You turn it right back on me. Yeah, that's right. See? <laughs> uh, well, I'm, well, the only problem is that I'm blinded in my, my small linear brain by what I just had for lunch. So I have to work that out. Well, you, do you cook? Are you much of a cooking kind of guy? I used to. Actually, I haven't cooked very often. I used to cook. I used to make breads and, and things like that. But Oh, wow. That's, um, that's kind of... Okay, so you like that? that's not like minor stuff. That's not like just... Uh, so, so what's the did, what? Do you remember the last time that you actually made a really good meal that turned out well? Uh, yeah, I've uh, yeah, it's probably a month or two ago. 
Okay. I made uh, enchiladas, and it turned out pretty well. I've made like a kind of a chicken marsala, a little fancier than that, and it turned out pretty not too, not too badly. Good, good. All right, I like that. Uh, okay, well, there I, I, there you go. I think that's a good answer. What was the last good meal you had? Uh, I like that one. Uh, okay, I'm going to have to say it, because apparently it's the only thing I can think of. I had, I had chicken fajitas today at lunch. <laughs> and that was good. Did you make them, or you got them somewhere? No, no, no. We uh, we have a local restaurant here called Rosa's Cafe. It's kind of a, a, a sort of a minor chain in several West Texas cities out here, and uh, it's a uh, very popular. Packed every every day. Mm-hmm. It was very good. Okay, good, good. Uh, for my own answer for that, uh, I think a few weeks ago I made some salmon in the broiler, and I love salmon. It's hard to go wrong with salmon. So that. Yeah. Just- have you gotten mahi mahi? That's that's not too bad either. I do like mahi mahi, but uh, mahi mahi is a more uh, I, I I'm on shaky ground when I talk about culinary stuff. But mahi mahi is more of a sort of a mm, not not bland but mild fish. Like like the taste of salmon is so distinctive. Uh, salmon has such a sharp distinctive taste uh, that I really respond to. But I like a good I like good mahi mahi. I love sea bass. Like a good sea bass. Um, there's some... well, you know, it's, it's kind of tough because I think the problem I have with salmon is that it, it's it's got a, such a distinct flavor that you can't really you can't really cook it differently. It's like there's like three yeah. or four ways you can cook salmon. That's about it. <laughs> You're right, basically. Yeah, you're not going to do anything that special with it. Uh, you just sort of let it be. Uh, I, I do. I do enjoy salmon. All right. Well, good. So that that was a good random question. I think I'm going to put that. In, well, I can't put it in the list now because uh, we we've talked about it. But uh, hopefully, so other folks, if it, go to everything else. Look for the thread. What's a good random question to ask someone? Let your the first letter in your post be also the first letter of your username, and you'll you'll go into the drawing for a random game. Now, are oh you must you said you had a PlayStation Three. Uh, why do you not have an Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty? I think when I went to the HD generation of televisions, uh, the the Blu-ray player. Ah, yeah. I have to say I haven't actually played a until the PlayStation Three. A console since like the Genesis, way back when. Wow. Well, what brought that about? Oh, it was, for, it was specifically for the Blu-ray, right? You got it basically as a Blu-ray driver, uh, Blu-ray. Yeah. And and so I said, well, okay, great. I can play console games, which I haven't done in quite a long time. So. Right. Right. Uh, what else? Have, what else has been working for you? So Red Dead Redemption. Uh, any other PS3 games that you really liked? Did you try Heavy Rain? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That was a great game too. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things. I mean, it's one of those deals where you can say a lot of things bad about it, or you could say <laughs> things that the characters were sort of cardboard. But I really did enjoy it. I know what they're going for there. I think they did a pretty good job. Uh, any of the Ratchet and Clank series? No, no I haven't said that one. Right. Don't, don't, also, don't make the mistake of thinking they're for babies. Oh well, maybe not. Are they downloadable? Is that a downloadable? There is a downloadable one called, I think, Quest for Booty. But uh, no, the way to experience the Ratchet and Clank games, if you ever want to try it, is the most recent one, which is called Tools of Destruction. Uh, easily the best of the series, and uh, they, they just they were firing on all cylinders there. Uh, what about Uncharted? That's another big PS3 exclusive. A lot of folks like. Uh, no, I haven't got to that one. Okay. Uh, have you tried any of the downloadable games? Like, have you seen Flower? I wasn't all that impressed with Flower. I knew what they were going for. I, I, it just didn't resonate with me. I, I think it was it was a little cheesy, although I understood that it was very artistic. So uh, now you mentioned multiplayer shooters earlier. Did did you? Uh, how can you? Have you played Mag with us? You uh, no, okay. I don't have it. Okay. Uh, I think Mag Mag is a great, especially if you're like an, an old school PC guy. Mag is a great uh, multiplayer shooter, uh, also exclusive to the PS3. A big selling point. Uh, recommend that as well all right good good with uh have you played um the flying game the wings of the the, the il2 uh, oh oh uh, wings of fury or wings i uh yeah i know what you're talking about you know what i haven't uh and i remember thinking i really need to look at this uh do you know how it turned out is it terrible I, I, I enjoy it. I mean, it, it is a console game. It's not a it's not a hardcore simulator, but it, it looks better, considerably better than the old Isle Two did, and so I think they did a good job with it. I you know I wonder if it did well for them because I I just I I, I can't imagine there's much of a market for that kind of thing. Uh, I, I doubt it did, and but that, and that's kind of one of those things I, I sort of want to pitch and support because I do kind of like keeping yeah. like simulators alive. Yeah. You know, one way or the other. Uh, do you have right now? 
a joystick hooked up to one of your computers? No, no, I don't. That's a, that's a sad thing. <laughs> it's, it's living very, very comfortably in the closet, though. Uh, I got, and this is kind of sad, but uh, I, I uh, Logitech makes some really fancy uh, HOTAS, uh, hands-on throttle and uh, stick system. It's, you, you know, it's a big programmable thing with a throttle, with a joystick. It's got rudder pedals. Uh, and I, I got a copy of this to cover for, for my job. And I'm like, wow, what, what game am I going to play these days? You know, it's not like a really old game that supports this kind of setup. Uh, and I don't know the answer to that. I guess IL-2. Like, if you really wanted to flex some really fancy flight stick with, with rudder pedals and a throttle, what would you turn to? And she helped me with that. What, what, should, I, what should I reinstall? If I, if I read something correctly, I think that Wings of Fury, whatever we call it, which neither of us can remember, actually supports joysticks, although which ones I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Now, I saw passing through one of the game stores on the Internet, uh, Lock-On 2, maybe? And I don't know when that's coming out, but uh, I guess that's a, a re-release of the old Lock-On. Okay. What is Lock-On? That sounds familiar to me. I'm thinking of SU-27. That's not a Lock-On game, is it? Wasn't that the game that came out after IL-2 that the Ukrainian developers came up with? That was, I think they were called Flying Eagle, and uh, yeah, they were Russian or U- Ukrainian, you're probably right. Uh, and is that is Lock-On not from that stock? Listen to us, we're like a couple of old like flight sim guys who can't remember the specifics. I know, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> I, I didn't play very much, I think I was too into IL-2 at the time, but I believe it was called Lock-On, I, I, I may be wrong. And that was a fair, I, I remember playing it for briefly, it, it's a hardcore game, I mean, it's, right. it's very much about the electronics warfare suite stuff, and... You know, one thing I could never bear to get rid of, even though I grant I will probably never reinstall this, is my copy of Falcon 4, which has this fantastic, like, three-ring binder uh, with the manual in it, and it's just a big, thick, it's just like a, a slab. Uh, and even if I never reinstall that game, I just love having that Falcon 4 manual on my shelf. And every now and then, kind of wistfully flipping it open to some random page about you know, targeting an AGM-88 or something like that. <laughs> I just love having that there, even though I think all that stuff is just so far from my ken these days. It, you know, it is, uh, looking backwards in time makes things look a lot better sometimes than they would be today. That's yeah. definitely true. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, Anadime, Vostok, uh, I really appreciate you uh, hanging out today uh, with me, doing the podcast. Um, I am glad to hear from folks who like the Total War series, because I've just been so soured, and I've been such a negative Nancy about those games for so long. So it's nice to hear folks who are a bit more forgiving and have some more enthusiasm for it than I do. Uh, So uh, thanks for hanging out. For for everyone listening, next week, did did you play System Shock, by the way? Did I play System Shock? Uh, uh, no, I don't, I don't think I did. Oh, there goes your gamer cred. How about that? <laughs> Not even System Shock 2? No. All right. I don't think I did. Well, next week we will be uh, we will be joined by Jonathan Crane, who I always assumed it was his real name. Do you? It's not. Do you know who Jonathan Crane is from fiction by any chance? But here's a geek test for you. Do you know? Oh, it's in the top of my... It's, it's not Melville or... But I'm thinking it's kind of in that genre. I love like, where you're going. I don't think that's right, though. Say again? 19th century literature. <laughs> now, I, th- I, I understand. I could be wrong about this, but it's the, it's the, the name of the character, uh, the villain Scarecrow from the Batman series, isn't it? Isn't Jonathan Crane Scarecrow's real name? Ooh, well, if it is, I feel bad. <laughs> I like your thing better, but it's, you know, it's from Melville. I, I like that approach. Uh, but anyway, for folks listening, Jonathan Crane, not his real name, I assume, will be here next week to talk about uh, System Shock. So join us there. Uh, go to the uh, What's a Good Random Question to Ask Someone thread and post in everything else for your chance to win a free game. Uh, and Anadime Vostok, thank you for hanging out, and we will be seeing you around on the forum. Well, thank you, sir. I've, been, I've enjoyed your form over the years, and uh, I appreciated you hosting it. Glad to have you. Take care. Bye-bye now.